just uh, have to tell people about life-changing marriage. That'll do it for sure. Um, anybody who's been married for more than 24 hours knows that getting married changes your life. For Thank you for that. Amen. For I mean, it changes your life for good or for bad. One way or the other, your life's getting changed, Mr. or Mrs. now. So I, I sent out a uh, text message. Thank you to, to Paul, by the way, for this idea. Paul McCright, he uh, did a little interview with Cheryl and I a couple weeks ago, and, and he asked us a very interesting question. And so I thought it was a question interesting enough to ask all of you as well. I hope you got the text message. I sent it out last week. I asked if you could go back in time what kind of marriage advice would you give your younger self? Interesting question, isn't it? If you could go back in time, what marriage advice would you give your younger self? And here are some of the responses that I got. Some of them are funny and some of them are sweet. And anyway, here they are. Don't be so sure that your ways and your family traditions are the best ways and traditions. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? I mean, they are, mine are, but you shouldn't be so sure. How about this one? Make sure God is first in your partnership. Thank you, Ray, for sending that one in. Appreciate that. How about make time for weekly dates? That was sent in by Wendy Deslitz. I know that that's something that they, they do to this day. They have weekly, I, she's in here somewhere. She's around, I've seen her. They, she and John. How about communication is always key? Yes, it is, Cheryl, sitting right over there. But Cheryl had more to say, so she sent in another one too. Enjoy all of the moments. It goes by way too fast. Right, Nikki? It goes by way too fast. Yeah. And then none. No advice. Because I married the perfect woman whom God gave me. That was from, Oh, Where's Dennis? Where's Dennis? There he is, right back there. All right. Whoa. Okay, moving on. Moving on, marriage is you investing yourself 100%, 100% of the time. It's good, but that's not the end. Property is divided 50-50. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> and I think this is the last one. Uh, yeah, the three C's of a happy marriage are christ communication, and compromise. That's I don't have anything better to say than that. So Kim, will you come on up here and <laughs> you can just finish for me. I appreciate that. No, no, as, as you've already seen, the title of today's message is Marriage Advice for Dummies. And let's face it, when we get uh, married, when we say I do and tether ourselves to that other person for the rest of our lives, we're all a little bit naive. We're all kind of in this dummy state, this dummy position. And the truth of the matter is, don't tell my wife, but I think I know even less now than I did about her when we got engaged or married. I don't know. Nevertheless, I'm going to do my best. The, the truth is, I am not a font of wisdom when it comes to anything. So what I'm going to try to do up here for the next few minutes is just give you a little bit of Bible. Is that okay? Is that all right? I'm just going to give you a little bit of what the Bible has to say about, uh, about marriage, and hopefully you'll be able to take something away that you can use, that you can apply in your own marriage, maybe uh, in a future marriage, if you're a young person. Uh, we got a lot of young people in the, in the room today. If you're a future person, some of these could be really helpful to you, I think. So 
let's start with, I think you have an outline in your worship guide, yes? And I already gave away the punchline, you know what the outline spells. Yeah, it spells, it spells dummy. So here we go. Number one, date your mate. Date your mate. That does not mean stamp her with the birthday or stamp him with the birthday, right? Pardon me, I brought a drink up here. I've had something weird going on with my throat this week. Date your mate. So I'm going to take you to the last book of the Bible. Last week, Pastor Lynn took us to the first book of the Bible where we talked about the institution of marriage and, and how it was ordained and created by God. I want to take you now to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is famous for being this apocalyptic book full of all kinds of signs and symbols and indecipherable stuff. And it's a lot of fun to sit around and, and question, what could this mean? What could this mean? What could this mean? Am I the Antichrist? Are you the Antichrist? I don't know. It's, it's kind of fun to sit around and question that kind of stuff. But the much more practical stuff is kind of in the first few chapters of the book where, where John is transcribing some letters to seven churches that were in the area of Asia Minor. And to one of these churches, the church in the city of Ephesus, Jesus told John to write this letter to the angel, that most likely means pastor, of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So he's, that's a reference to some stuff that happens previously that we, we didn't read. All you need to know is that's Jesus. This is the message from Jesus. He's speaking of himself in third person here. So he says, write this letter to the church at Ephesus from me, from Jesus. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Good so far. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. All of that sounds great. It sounds like the Ephesians are on a roll. What in the world does any of this have to do with marriage? But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. As you did at first. You don't love me. You don't love each other like you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. In other words, go back and remember. Remember what it was like in the beginning when that love was fresh and that love was new. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Back when you and, and your spouse, you and your mate were freshly in love right? You've made goo-goo eyes at each other all the time. You found every excuse to spend time with each other, doing absolutely nothing. You're just listening to each other breathe on the telephone, you know? Even that was wonderful because you're, we're Twitter-pated. And go back, Jesus says, to this church in Ephesus. You don't love me. You don't love each other. Remember what it was like in the beginning? Hey, go back and do some of those things. Go back and do some of the things that you did in the beginning when that love was fresh, when that love was new. It'll help. In other words, date. That's what you did, right? That's what you did when you were, when it was new, you dated. So if you don't want the fire to go out, if you don't want the love to grow cold, 
go on a date. It's just practical, right? Who knew that the Bible could be so practical? Anyway, I knew. So the first, the first uh, bit of advice is date your mate. The second bit of advice that I want to give, give you is unplug distractions. Unplug distractions. And as soon as I said the word unplug, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because like me, you lay in bed at night and you're on your phone and she's on her phone. You're both laying there and you know there's not a whole lot of communication. There's not a whole lot of anything else going on because of the distractions. And they come in all shapes and sizes and colors. When I was growing up, my parents called it the idiot box or the boob tube. That's what it was called around my house. Today, we refer to it as Netflix or Apple TV or Amazon Prime or any of those other things that we use to distract us from the things in this life that really, really matter. Look, in uh, 2 Samuel, this is a very famous account about uh, David who was the most famous king of, ancient king of Israel about a thousand years before Christ or so, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war. Now that's important because David was a king. He was the big kahuna. And his job was to go out to battle. That's what kings did. David sent the commander of his army, whose name was Joab, and the Israeli army to fight the Ammonites instead of going himself, instead of representing his nation as kings did. They destroyed the Ammonites. Woo, yay for us. Winning. They destroyed the Ammonites' army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. I'm just going to send that other guy to do the hard work. I'm going to stay back because I need a rest. I need a relaxation. I need a rest. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, I love this guy, take a nap. David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, much has been made of this. Why was she taking a bath on the roof? Was that common for the culture? Could have been. Could have been very common for the culture. I mean, that's where the easiest place to collect water is on the roof from the rains. So maybe, maybe, did she do it on purpose? Maybe. Who can say? Bible doesn't tell us. Here's what I know for sure. David noticed her, okay? But David didn't stop there. He didn't just stop with that distraction and turn away and go about doing his kingly duty. Instead, he sent someone to find out who she was. He didn't have to do that. Now, there might not have been anything he could do about seeing her. Maybe that was unavoidable. But he didn't have to send, one to send someone to find out who she was. And he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her. He absolutely did not have to do that. So he's, made, he's gone from making one innocent mistake, being innocently distracted, to now making a conscious choice to veer off God's path, to now being very intentional and finally, when she came to the palace, he slept with her. <coughs> Excuse me. This was a series of choices that David made. But it started with 
a distraction. A distraction. How devastating distractions can be. The following is paid programming brought to you by Marriages Against Technology. Before, our relationship was just a tangled mess of push notifications, interruptive chimes, farm animal games, and, and secret GPS tracking. I was checking Nancy's Facebook page just to see where she was at. Physically and emotionally. And I was fortifying my manhood by playing violent video games in which I was a sniper trying to save all of America. Waffle Daddy 16 is down. Give him a med kit. Bravo. They're on your six! They're on your six! Frag out! Frag out! I just wanted him to take out the trash. Don't look at me! I had a hard time communicating how I felt. He'd try these little emoticons, but the messages got mixed. I have fat thumbs, and one slip to the right, and you are sending a totally different message. It got to the place where I was finding attention elsewhere. Oh, come on. Come on! We were talking about separating. And by separating, we mean buying an additional tablet so we could each have one. The point is that we were chewing up our data with nothing to show for it. And that's when we discovered unplugging. It's a form of communication that requires no electricity or Wi-Fi. It was awkward. We were just sitting on the sofa, the two of us, no devices. The eye contact alone was, can I even say this on TV? We were talking without the football score dinging on his phone. For her, it used to be words with friends, but now it's words. <laughs> with me. Unplugging has revolutionized the way we relate to each other. When the electricity goes out, I don't even flinch. And when I say flinch, I may lose my everlasting mind. I know there are skeptics, but all I say is give it a shot. It's worth your time. You will see results. And fast. The most common side effects from unplugging include jitters, twitches, and withdrawals. If you experience other mental disturbances, take a walk in the sunlight. If you have a conversation that lasts more than four hours, don't see a doctor. This is normal. Just keep talking. Unplugging may not solve all your relational issues. Your overspending habits are an entirely different topic, and we don't have time for it. Unplugging. See if it's right for you. It was right for us. Unplugging. Who knew? Who knew? 
So the first one, what was the first uh, piece of advice I gave you? There you go, date your mate. And the second one? Unplug distractions. Don't sound so excited about it. Um, <laughs> further, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gave some very uh, sobering advice to husbands and wives. He said, further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this, ver the, this passage kind of gets abused a little, a little bit. Um, the ladies don't like it so much because it has this word in it, but I wanted to point out that it starts with this concept of submitting to one another, okay? Submitting to one, that means the guy is submitting to the ladies, the ladies submitting to the men. Paul goes on to say, for wives, this concept means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, what's implied in all of this, this love and respect, love and respect model that the Apostle Paul says should be a hallmark of Christian relationships is one word, attention. You can't do all that without giving attention to one another. And you can't give attention to one another if you are distracted. So unplug the distractions. So the first was date your mate. The U was unplug distractions. The first M is mush together. Mush, it's okay, you can laugh at that. Mush together. The prophet Amos, uh, who was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, 730s or so, he wrote this, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? That is what we call, ladies and gentlemen, a rhetorical question, as in no answer needed. Of course they can't walk together if they can't agree on a direction. You want to know how much time my family spends in the car driving around trying to decide on a place to eat? It's ridiculous. Last night we got in, the, we had made plans to go out and eat dinner last night, so Cheryl and I and Leah, we got in the car and we started driving. Did we have any idea where we were going? No. We're just throwing it, how about here, how about here, how about here, how about here? I think we, we made it halfway to Little Rock before we actually decided on a place. Can two people walk together? Can two people eat together? Can two people do anything together without agreeing on what they're going to do and where they're going to go? So mush together. You know what I mean when I say mush? You ever seen one of those movies where they, uh, they, they hook up a team of, of dogs on a sled and they're, they're going to do uh, the Iditarod? That's the classic one, right? Where they, where they do the, the dog sled racing over the snow-capped mountains and stuff. Well, that's what they yell at the dogs. They yell, mush, mush, mush. So when I say mush together, what I, what I mean is harness up with somebody who is going the same direction as you. There's no Mr. Right. There's no Mrs. Right. You be Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, and look over beside you, and someday you'll, you'll see somebody beside you who's running the same pace, the same direction you are, and that's when you hook up with them and you run together. Uh, 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul said, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an 
unbeliever, once again, rhetorical question. It just, it doesn't work. You're setting yourself up for a world of hurt when you partner with somebody who doesn't share the values that you have. I was at my parents' house a couple of weeks ago, and I was looking around at the knickknacks that my mom has on the shelf. She has a lot of old family photos that she's collected through the years. For a period of, I don't know, about 10 years or so, she was really into investigating the genealogy of our family. And this picture that was on the shelf caught my eye. Can you see that at all? Can you put it on the screen for us? Thank you. This picture caught my eye. Uh, and I, hey, mom, who, who is that? Well, this little guy right here, that is uh, my grandfather's brother. This picture was taken around the turn of the century, about 1900. And the little guy there standing in front of the team of oxen, that is my grandfather's brother. His name was Lawrence, Lawrence Hill. And then this stately-looking fellow back here with the stovepipe hat on, that is my great-grandfather. And his name was also Lawrence Hill, Lawrence Butler Hill. And apparently, around the Greens Chapel area of Arkansas, I don't know if anybody has any idea where that is, but around the Greens Chapel area of Arkansas, he owned a sawmill. Look at the size of those logs. Those things are enormous. They had to cut those things down by hand. Chainsaws, forget about it. They had to cut those things down by hand, put them on that cart, and look at all of those oxen yoked together, yoked together to pull that massive load. So when the Apostle Paul says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers, a few translations render that, don't be unequally yoked. And that's what they're talking about. They're talking about this wooden bar that goes across the shoulders of these enormous animals. That's a yoke. So it would be silly for one of these oxen to be yoked up with a dog. That's ridiculous. That wouldn't make any sense at all. These animals are yoked together purposefully so that they can accomplish what they're meant to accomplish. They can fulfill their purpose. And you and I will fulfill our purposes best, our purpose best, when we are equally yoked together. Whether that means in business, whether that means in marriage especially, when we're equally yoked together. Okay, you got it? Good. Date your mate, unplug distractions. What was the M? Thank you for the reminder. Mush together, mush together. And the other M, this is a stretch, I, I, I realize. Embrace your place. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't come up with any other, I couldn't get a better way to do it. Okay, embrace your place. Now we're going to look at something really, really interesting because we just heard from the Apostle Paul who's saying don't be unequally yoked. Now we're going to get Peter's side of that, the Apostle Peter in chapter 2. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. Now Peter's writing to people in a context, in a culture, who literally were enslaved to the Roman Empire. But he's telling them in Christ, because they know Christ through God, because they know God through Christ, rather, they are free. You're free, sure, but you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't say, oh, I'm free, I can do anything I want. I got grace. It's all good between me and God. 
Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Now, all of that is backstory for what he says next. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. I don't want anybody to get the idea that I'm advocating divorce because I'm telling you don't be unequally yoked together. I'm absolutely not. Neither does the Bible. The Bible says if you found yourself yoked or teamed up with someone who's an unbeliever, then you'd be the best believer you possibly can be. Win them over by your Christ-like lifestyle. Show them that there is something different about people who pursue God. So not to be left out, in the same way you husbands, so yes, the wives accept the authority, but husbands give honor to your wives, Peter wrote. He didn't leave the guys off the hook. Treat your wife with understanding. How many men would say, I understand my wife? It's good, no liars in the crowd. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are physically, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Absolutely equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Guys, you want God to hear you when you pray? You want God to listen to you when you pray? Treat your wives well. That's what Peter wrote. Treat your wives well. Happy wife. Thank you. Yeah, you know that one, don't you? All right. Going on. Date your mate. Unplug distractions. Mush together. Embrace your place or embrace your place. Wherever you... And for the life of me, I could not come up with a why. This is the best that I could do. You can write this down. Wise up with God. <laughs> or if you prefer, use God's power with a U, Y-O-U. Or if you prefer... Say yes to God's best. I don't care. Pick one, pick them all, doesn't matter. Or maybe you can come up with a better one that actually does start with a Y. I, I hurt myself trying to come up with these, so maybe you can. I don't know. Um, in his very last, what was probably his very last letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, who was his protege, his young son in the faith is what he called him. And his, in part of his parting words, he said, you should know this, Timothy, you should know this, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Well, that doesn't seem like much of a revelation, does it? Things are going to get bad. Well, how bad are they going to get, Paul? What are they going to be like? People will love only themselves and their money in the last days when times are very difficult. People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Now, I highlighted it for you in this short passage, but three times the Apostle Paul makes reference to people's love deficiency, their lovelessness. And then he says, 
They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Stay away from people like that. People who act religious, everything seems good on the outside. They put on a good front, but they reject the power that could truly make them godly, that could change them on the inside. They don't acknowledge it. It's all a performance. It's all a play. It's all a show. That's what the last days are going to be like. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Kind of reminds me of today. Doesn't it remind you of today? Maybe a little bit? So I have a question for you. As we wrap things up this morning, I got a question. They will act religious. They will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Would Paul tell Timothy to stay away from me? If Paul were here today and he were standing on the stage and he were speaking and he knew me, would he tell Timothy to stay away from me? Does that describe me? Is my Christianity just a performance? Is yours just a performance? Or is God really doing something in you on the inside? Maybe you're not ready to make a commitment like that. Maybe you're not ready to let God do something on the inside of you. Here's where I challenge you to start. Say, God, if you're there, show me. If you're there, make yourself plain to me. That's a good place to start. That's a great place to begin. But if you've moved on from that, if, if you know that God is living and working in this world and in you, are you where you want to be? In your marriage, in your business relationships, in your parenting, are you where you want to be? When it comes to marriage in particular, be a dummy. Be a dummy. This is life-changing advice if you'll take it and use it, but only if you'll take it and use it. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. Even in our most intimate relationships, relationships like marriage, your book contains valuable and super practical advice for us if we will only do what it says. So thank you for moving through people centuries and millennia ago to record these words for us here in this place today. Convict us of sin. Teach us to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at me here a moment. That last why for yes, have you said yes to God's best for you? Jesus died for you. He used the example of husbands and wives, and that is the example of Christ giving himself for the church. You understand 
that Christ gave his life for your saving and that all you have to do to receive the gift of eternal life is to trust in him. That is God's best yes for you. If you've already done that for the past three messages, we have talked every Sunday morning about God's best marriage for you. Is your marriage where God wants it to be? Is it even where you want it to be? Why not invite God into your marriage, into your life? Let Him heal the hurts. Let Him give you a renewed marriage, the best marriage, the best friends, the best relationships.